Well, I want to say good evening to everyone. It's good to again be here uh, this, uh, this evening. It's good to have the opportunity that uh, we have been afforded uh, these last few days to be able to come together to study God's Word, to endeavor to come to unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And uh, in that, along those lines, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say something to those who perhaps were here uh, after our services uh, upon yesterday. I know many left uh, and many uh, probably didn't hear the the exchange that uh, I was having with uh, Brother Andrew. And I've already spoken to him, and I'd just like to say that I... Uh, want to apologize about my behavior. I did not represent Christ, I believe, properly. I allowed myself to become angry, and I lost control there for a little bit uh, as far as my, 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 my tone. Uh, and I believe my words were still valid, and me and Andrew got a chance to talk a little bit more today about some things. We are still are in somewhat disagreement, uh, but nevertheless, that uh, really had no bearing on my attitude uh, and my behavior. And I want to apologize to those who perhaps saw that. Uh, You know, I'm supposed to be a little bit too old for that. (laughs) Uh, But nevertheless, uh, just just wanted to to, to say that. Uh, Like I told you, sometimes I have to beat G-Man down again in his grave. Uh, And that's that's what I'm having to do now. And sometimes he'll rear his ugly head. And so I do uh, want to apologize uh, for that now. Uh, ask that you will forgive me of that conduct. Um, and so, having said that, when we think about Christianity, as was said by Brother Ben just a few moments ago, you know, we have uh, a lot of daunting tasks before us. Uh, one of the things that we do have to remember and do have to do, as he reiterated, is the fact that there are lost souls out there. And nobody is going to get to heaven without obedience to the gospel I believe the Bible tells us that Uh, Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life in other words we are not going we are not going uh, to come to the Father except by Him and the Father has promised us eternal life through Jesus we have that treasure we have that great blessing and it's our responsibility as those who are Christians who have been literally given the commission to represent Christ and all that we say and do in proclaiming his word. We have that responsibility. Nobody else has the responsibility to preach and teach the gospel to the lost. God has put that in our laps. Nobody can fulfill that commandment except us. And so how do we go about doing that? Well, of course, we do have the gospel of Christ. We have the revelation of God's will. But as we know, As Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we realize that we are the epistles of Christ. And the covenant that we all intend and endeavor to follow is one that has been written in our hearts. How do we, as Christians, make sure that we are properly representing Christ so that people can see Christ in us and see the unity 
that we should possess and should have. As we know, it's occasions such as this that we're able to hash things out. And I, again, appreciate uh, the way that you conduct your meetings as far as the question and answers and, and then dealing with things that are oftentimes very difficult and many times people try to avoid dealing with. But at the same time, we have to realize that when people obey the gospel, they cannot come into chaos and see the peace of God. Jesus Christ tells us in John chapter uh, 17 that understand people will know that he was sent for the love that we have one for another. Now love, love is a biblical term. Its concept is uh, biblical. We cannot adopt the idea, the practice, and the belief of love that the world tries to shove down its own throat. We go to the scriptures for our definition and our application, our understanding, and our continuing in the love of God. That's how we define love. And so, how did our brethren in the first century, Brother Larry, when he was here, dealt with a lesson that I thought was very, very good, very pertinent in talking about Jews and Gentiles. You have two diametrically opposed groups of people. Throughout history, the Gentiles were over here, and the Jews were supposed to be over there. But nevertheless, how do you get two groups of people who are so different, who have practiced so many different things in their history, has been so different for the most part, to now come together into one body and function and work together as one. I'm not going to speak, uh, uh, I guess, re, uh, redo Larry's lesson, but I do want us to understand how important that is. Well, I believe that the Bible tells us and gives us things that, that will help us. Places such as 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10 are places that we can go to see how we are able and should work together. We also find places like Romans chapter 14 that we'll talk about tonight uh as our focus that also is given to us to help us to see how we can work together. Now, as we consider those thoughts, I'd like for us to turn to Acts chapter 15. I believe that this particular set of passages of Scripture is extremely important as we endeavor to see how we're to work together. There's some things that we have to consider very seriously. There's some things that we have to, to accept and embrace. But I also believe there's some things that we have to reject regarding what Romans 14 is saying and what it's not saying. And so we'll look at that. But in Acts chapter 15, verses 19 through 20, you remember the context. There were a group of Jewish Christians called the Judaizers. Paul had to deal with them when you go back to Galatian, the Galatian epistle, one of Paul's sternest epistles, as he deals very harshly with those who were trying to propagate the idea that the Gentiles not only had to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, but had to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. Well, when Paul and Barnabas would return from their second missionary trip and they would go back to Antioch, these Judaizers were there. And they were trying to teach and promote this very idea. Paul and Barnabas and those uh, who would accompany them were sent by the church at Antioch to Jerusalem to deal with this issue. Because these Judaizers were actually in some degree claiming that they had came from Jerusalem, that they had came from James. They had come with the authority and permission of those who were pillars in the church to teach and promote this. And again, this was an issue that, that... Many succumb to. We see in Galatians 2 that even Peter and Barnabas gave over to the influence of these men who are trying 
to promote this idea that the gospel was insufficient to save people, that the law still had to be mixed in for them to be justified before God and saved. And so this was no small matter, no small matter at all. And so as they came together there in Jerusalem, uh, and, and again, the authority, as we noted in one of our lessons Sunday, the authority was not them. They weren't coming together and saying, well, what do you think about it? Let's take a vote. No, the authority was the Holy Spirit, as we noted. And they sent letters to the Gentiles or the Gentile churches by the hands of Barnabas and Paul and saying that it seemed good unto the Holy Spirit and to us. You see, the Holy Spirit was the authority. Remember, Jesus Christ said he would leave a comforter. He would guide them in all truth. And we see that exactly taking place in Acts 15. So now how were they to deal with this issue? Yes, the Judaizers were wrong. They were teaching false doctrine. They were trying to promote a gospel that was a perverted gospel, as Paul would say in Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9. It was not the gospel of Christ. There is no other gospel. There's not another one. And so Paul, Paul would, again, as we said, write a very stern letter to the churches of Galatia and and asking them the question, who has bewitched you? What happened? And so now, in Acts 15, they decided upon a thing according to the authority of the Holy Spirit. They still had to discern, as we noted. They looked at Peter, uh, Peter's conversion of Cornelius. They looked at the miracles of, uh, of Paul and Barnabas. And then James would stand up and quote Old Testament scriptures all to confirm the idea that the Gentiles had been accepted by God through their obedience to Jesus Christ. But now they did have to come to point of unity here. How do we do this? What things should be adhered to? And in Acts chapter 15, verse 19 through 20, Wherefore my sins is that we trouble them not, and that's the Gentiles, or trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. They have turned themselves to God. They've repented from their idolatry. They've turned to God. They've obeyed the gospel of Christ. But that we write unto them. Here's what we need to tell them. That they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Now, many people go back and they say, well, those things uh, were were things uh, in the law of Moses. They were indeed in the law of Moses, but these things can extend back even to the patriarchal age. And it's my belief, my contention, that all of these things, surmised together, are all seemingly dealing with idolatry and idolatrous practices. Now, we could talk about blood and and, and how God, uh, the things that God stated about blood in Genesis 9 and verse number 6 and all those various things. I've heard people even go to this verse and talk about the the hygienics of it. In other words, God has given them laws that were beneficial to their physical health. I don't believe that has any bearing whatsoever on what's being said here. These things, remember, the pollution of idols led to fornication. Look at the days of Paul. Fornication from things strange. Remember, oftentimes they, uh, that was a part of idolatrous worship. And even that of blood was also. I believe that's why we find these commands even given by God in the Old Testament. And as they sought to find a unifying basis upon how they can operate together. These were the things that they needed to be together on. Now, please understand, as we'll note here in just a moment, these things were not substitutes for the commandments of Christ. Oh, well, as long as you do this, you're okay. Well, everything that Christ commands through the apostles, oh, we don't really have to do that. Oh, as long as, that's not the point. He was talking about things that would what? Be uh, identified by the Jews as well as the Gentiles. 
But now, the things that pertain to Christianity, Jew and Gentile had to do everything that the Lord commanded. <clears throat> everything. This is not the set of standards by, well, you, you can forget that and forget this, just do that. No. No. Because remember, God gave commands to both Jew and Gentile. The gospel is the power of God's salvation to everyone that believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Remember, in Romans chapter 2, Paul established the fact that the immorality of the Gentiles, as stated in verse number uh, chapter 1, would be their condemnation. Then he talked about the hypocrisy of the Jews in Romans chapter 2 that would be their condemnation. What's the conclusion? Both Jew and Gentile need Jesus Christ. No, the Jews perhaps did not commit the immoral acts that Paul talks about in Romans 1. But he also said there were Jew or Gentiles who, even though they were not under the law, did the things that were contained in the law, thus becoming a law to themselves. Why? Because they were righteous Gentiles. You look at the Old Testament history. There were righteous Gentiles who feared God and obeyed God. And so Paul is saying, look, you both, God has concluded that all are under sin and all need Jesus Christ. In the Roman epistle itself, the universal nature and need of Jesus Christ as proclaimed through the gospel. That's the underlying thing. All right, so now as we consider that, Jew and Gentile, in one church, in one place. Paul hadn't even been to Rome yet when he wrote this epistle. How were they to work together with, with such a diverse past and practices? How could they do it? Hence we find Romans 14. Romans 14. Now, as we've already stressed, Romans 14 has become, I believe, I believe, misunderstood. I and mean, it has become something or, or, or passage of scripture that people run to, to, to say things that really the Bible doesn't say. But again, not only that, but Romans 14 is given for us for a good reason and purpose, for us to be able to work together despite our many Many diverse past. Beloved, I probably could, if we sat down and talk as we have with some of you, we may have some similarities, uh, but I probably would say that the things of my past were not the things of your past for the most part. I could be incorrect. But you know, the one thing that we share, the one thing that we have in common is sin. And we all needed Jesus Christ. Now the one thing that we have in common is Christ. And righteousness through Christ. If we indeed we are Christians. And so forget the past. Forget all those things. Now we again look toward our Lord and Savior. Now in Romans chapter 14 verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this, uh, judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, 
how do we operate and work together again with perhaps diverse past and diverse experiences within our past now I believe Romans 14 has become the dumping ground for religious compromise now we want to look at both aspects of this what it's not and what it is now first of all it is evident or it's become evident rather that Many, many want to say that, look, we work together by, by tolerating sin from one another. I don't believe that to be the case. We can't tolerate sin from any one of us. Not, we can't tolerate it from ourselves. And so Romans 14 is not teaching a toleration of sin, which leads to death. Paul would never say something. Jesus would never teach that. The Holy Spirit would never inspire anyone to say that sin is okay. Sin is okay just as long as we work together within it. It has become, again, a beacon of uh, tolerance and spiritual apathy for those who do not wish to possess or uphold the simplest of Bible truths. In other words, what God has commanded. Is there a way? Are the scriptures there for us to be unified? Can we be unified by them is the question. By no means I'm implying that patience, long-suffering, and understanding are not within the confines of the context. Who would say that? That, that patience and long-suffering and, 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 and bearing with one another, as Paul would say here, is not a part of that process. It most certainly is. But not compromise. Uh, me and uh, one of the brothers today, uh, today were talking, having a good conversation, and the question was asked, well, when does patience, which starts here, when does it become compromise or tolerance? And now both of us were not able to come, well, right here. <laughs> it's at that moment right there. But we do know that that is very possible, and we better guard from that. Now, wherever that process is, we better make sure that we don't go in that direction and end up in that place where we are now compromising and tolerating sin of one another because I guarantee you, you'll tolerate it from yourself first. So we have to be mindful and careful. This by no means says that we should not be patient, long-suffering, and understanding. However, we still have the book. And we can and we should strive to believe the same way. And Romans 14 is not the chapter for us to disregard differences. Don't care. And when I, by differences, I'm talking about the commands of God. A different ideas and beliefs about what God has said. <coughs> that we just disavow those things and keep moving on and pressing on despite our doctrinal differences. Despite what the Bible says and what we believe about it. Beloved, that is not anywhere in Scripture. Now, as we continue to look at our lesson today, there are some passages I think that we need to, 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 to really understand and, and be mindful of. Remember the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 9 through 10, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he had done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. 
we also see in Acts 17 and verse 31 and, uh, 30 and 31, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he is appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man who he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. See, the resurrection is assurance of judgment as well as hope. Then in John 12 and verse 48, our Lord himself says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words as one that judges him the word that I've spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. You see, we have a standard of judgment by which we all are to adhere to. And we can't throw that out in this dumping ground for the sake and cause of compromise. We will stand before God. You see, God's not going to ask me what, he, what I think about you. Hey, Brother Harold. Yeah, 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 Lord. Uh, what do you think about that brother? Man, he's a pretty good brother, man. You know, I'm not saying He's not going to do that. We have to realize we're going to all give account for ourselves. And he's not going to ask anybody about any of us. I dare say, I think sometimes the picture is depicted that he's going to ask us. I don't necessarily find that in the scriptures. God, so tell me, what about your life? What do you think? Now, I'm going to judge you, but tell me, I don't really find that. I find that our works will go before us. And so we need to be careful about how we consider the scriptures and the great importance of sensuality. The goodness and the severity is that we know Paul says about God. We should approach any passage of Scripture to see what it says and not what we want it to say. You see, beloved, any time, remember we talked about this Sunday, you don't approach the Scriptures asking for permission to continue in a practice that is already enacted. In other words, we seek authority. We don't seek justification for an already established belief or practice. I spent too many years trying to do that. And I'll tell you, you will find that justification. As contrary to God as it may be, you will find justification for what you want to find justification for. That's why the Bible tells us God will send us strong delusion. So we have to be mindful of these important facts. We should always approach God's word with the understanding that we will be judged by it, as we already said. Our acceptance of it cannot be its justification. God's word is true because I believe it's true. No, 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 no. It's true because God gave it. That's why it's true. It's truth. And it doesn't have to have my acceptance or condonement for it to be right. We have to be careful. Let's not put too much on ourselves. Now, I say this for those who use this approach. It may not be you. And that's wonderful if it's not. If this were true, we wouldn't have this or being, uh, have this rather or be doing that. What we are doing and what we have is not the authority for those actions when it comes to God's Word. We don't have authority for, hey, I'm doing it, you do it. No, no. The Word of God is the rule. That It's the canon. It's the standard. It's the measure by which we will be judged and by which we must operate. You know, there was one uh, well-known preacher uh, of the uh, persuasion of those who I used to be uh, closely affiliated with. And he said that the approach that Paul sets forth in Romans 14, and we'll, we'll see what that is uh, just a moment here. But he said, as Romans 14, and actually he was writing a, uh, an article about Romans 14, he said, now, 
that the uh, that uh, I'm sorry, uh, if what 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 many believe and what he was saying, really Paul was saying that all Christians not having to conform to whom he deemed the weaker brother. In other words, you have this weaker brother, and, and we're not commanded to conform to him. If this were true. If this were the case, we would not have church build, uh, church buildings, baptistries, Bible classes, Bible literature, individual communion cups, fully supported preachers, corporate orphan homes, collective church benevolence to non-saints. Of course, now he was of that persuasion. He said, look, if we listened to these brethren, we wouldn't have nothing and be doing nothing. Now, of course, you know what brother he was talking about. So you can't, this, this wicked brother, now the, the problem with this approach and the problem with his statement in the article is, who said these things are things pertaining to Romans 14? Now some of them may be applicable through the air of expedience, but wait a minute. And so in other words, he's saying, you don't listen to no weaker brother, that brother, that weaker brother better get his act together. I don't believe that's the attitude of Romans 14. So let's talk about this a little more. All right. Firstly, we need to understand when it comes to the text that we must remember that the subject matter in Romans 14, now I'm going to encourage you all to read the whole chapter, and as a matter of fact, probably need to read 13 and 15. Dare I say read the whole Roman epistle if you really want to get the gist of Romans 14. Okay? but that the subject matter is dealing with something that is not inherently sinful. We have to remember that that's the subject matter. In other words, it's not something that is inherently sinful in and of itself. That's not what Paul is dealing with. Look at verses 14 and verse 20 of the chapter. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. You see, we talked about Sunday, these, the idea of the boundaries or borders of fellowship. And that we need to make sure that we don't go, and, uh, go beyond those borders and limitations. In other words, it's not us that establishes the boundaries of fellowship, but it's God who's established it. Our responsibility and duty is simply to... Stay within those boundaries that God Himself has ordained. Remember, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ through His Word and our obedience through His Word. He died that we may have that fellowship. Remember, John says, uh, These things I write unto you that your joy may be full, that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship. Is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, there's a chain of fellowship, if we want to call it that. Paul's not talking about those things here. And it's imperative that we understand that first and foremost. Secondly, we must remember that the primary instruction is given to the strong brother in regard to the weak brother. I didn't read verse 20 in this as well. Verse 20 says, For me destroyed not the work of God, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for a man who eateth with offense. What is Paul talking about? What's the context? We're always talking about context. Context is eating meat. In 1 Corinthians 8, 
9 and 10. Now, in chapter 9, Paul uses himself as the example of liberty that we can do a thing or we don't have to do a thing. He talks about the uh, support that he, as well as Barnabas, did not take from the Corinthians. He uses himself. He upholds himself as this example of liberty, even though I had the freedom to do it, the authority to do it, I choose not to do it. Paul wasn't commanded to take support. Especially from the Corinthians. As a matter of fact, it probably would have been detrimental for him to take support from the Corinthians based on those who were preaching for gain. Paul didn't want to have that confused as to what his motive was. But then in Romans 14, the subject is dealing with really a specific thing. And we see that, yes, there are principles that are involved, but whether it be the specific thing or the other things that are applicable, none of those things are inherently sinful. In chapter, uh, verse number 1, I'm sorry, chapter 14, he says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. In chapter 15 and verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The the, the, the whole purpose here, Paul is talking or giving instructions to the strong brother in regard to the weaker brother. That's what he's doing. He's telling those who are strong, you need to bear the infirmities of the weak. Now, pride oftentimes doesn't allow us to determine that we are the weaker one. Unfortunately. <laughs> see, that, that's a lot of times where it comes in. Oh, I'm not the weak one. You're the weak one. No, you're the weak one. I'm the strong. And see, there, see that's a whole other issue right there. You're not going to resolve anything in Romans 14 if nobody's going to admit who they are. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we we got to do that. We got to be, you know, it, 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 nothing will be resolved that way. <laughs> Thirdly. Weak is defined in the context as someone who has a uh, t- uh, who has a lesser degree of faith, and the stronger as someone whose faith is strong. It's just really that simple. And now uh, we're going to look at how that's determined. And fourthly, the weaker brother, here's the thing, places a greater burden on themselves than what God has placed on them. Look at verse number two. Look at verse number 2. In verse number 2, For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth only herbs. In other words, God has given his liberty and freedom for a person to eat all things. But the weaker brother says, No, I, I can't do that. can't do that. I can only eat herbs. Again, an issue that is not inherently in and of itself, sinful on either part. Now understand, Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. Don't forget that, okay? Alright, now, both are accepted. Or acceptable to God. Both of them are. In in issues of Romans 14, both are acceptable to God. Now, how do we know when we're acceptable to God? Again, we got to go to the book to find that out. See, we got to go to the book for that. Okay? 
And that, that's the only way we're going to find out if any of us are acceptable to God. Remember, we strive to be accepted of Him. How was that done? By obedience to Him. That's how we do Remember, Jesus was accepted of the Father. Why? Because He did all things that the Father commanded Him to do. We too must be acceptable to Christ by keeping, keeping the commandments, keeping the doctrine of Christ. Now, both are acceptable. Look at verse number 3. Let no, uh, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. I'm going to tell you right now. That's a world of trouble when you reject somebody that God has accepted. Amen. That's a world of trouble. It's a world of trouble. But it's also a world of trouble when you accept someone that God hasn't. We'll talk about that too. See, it's, it's a <laughs> Paul is not talking about individuals who engage in such activities as those in Romans 1.24. Remember, those things that Paul mentioned in Romans chapter 1, they are worthy of death. Okay? I'm not talking about those things. Well, you know, Romans 14 teaches that, you know, see, when they put their spouse away or they were put away, they didn't fully understand the implications of, of marriage and and marriage and then divorce and, and then marriage, divorce and then remarriage. You know, they didn't know. They, 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 uh, they didn't understand. And, and you know, they, yes, they've gotten into this situation. They're in an unlawful marriage. But Romans 14 says we're not to judge them. <laughs> oh, boy. The dumping ground. It's the dumping ground. Guys, people are dumping everything in Romans 14. You know, Brother Larry also did, did a lesson, should we as a church of Christ exist? And, and I believe the premise for the lesson was this. Look, if there's no standards, if there's no boundaries, if there's no commandments, if there's no obedience, we really don't have the right to exist. If that's the case. <laughs> because we would, I mean, how dare us? If everything is okay, everything is okay, and we would not have any right to exist. Dare I say, if everything is okay, what did Jesus come for? If everything's okay, why did he bring grace and truth? If everything's okay, everything is not okay. In Romans uh, 16, uh, verses 17. Right there in the same, just a couple of chapters over. Remember, he is not talking about. He is not talking about. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. He's not talking about them. He's not talking about them. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 through 19, Paul is not talking about these. He's not talking about them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 through 19. Not talking about them. No, sir. And their word will eat as doth a canker. 
of whom Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth, have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrown the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of, the, of, the, of God will stand assured, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, lawlessness. You see right there, there are laws. Now talk about them. Romans 14 is not the dumping ground. Compromise. Compromise and sin. See, the reminder, or remainder, I'm sorry, of Paul's inspired instruction is given with guidelines. Now, what are some of those guidelines? Well, some of the guidelines are this. Don't judge someone when they have <coughs> different, uh, I'm sorry, it should be a different degree of faith than you. But, now I want you, let, let's put the qualifier. But are still acceptable to God. See that? <laughs> There's the key. Now, again, like we said, we've got to determine that here. We have to determine that. Because, see, there are going to be many in that day who say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in our name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do many, uh, many mighty works in their name? And Jesus Christ will say, Depart from ye that work lawlessness. I never knew you. And we've already looked at the fact that Paul says we can deny him by our works. To deny his sovereignty, his lordship, by saying, oh man, I'm going to handle this myself. I can do it my way. As many, many, many so do. Don't judge someone by the degree of faith when they don't have the same faith, you know, a stronger faith, but now remember, but still accepted by God. And that's the key. That's the question. Now, don't do anything that you are not convinced is right. Paul is saying, don't you do anything that you are not convinced is right. Now, let's, let, let, let's look at that. Paul is not saying, don't do it unless you're convinced it's necessary. See, if that's the case, that throws the whole chapter off. Maybe we'll take it out of Romans. Things that are not inherently sinful. Things that are not inherently sinful. Well, I don't think that's right. Well, are you... Well, what do you think about this being? Well, I don't think it's necessary. Whoa, now. Better back that up a little bit. You stop and consider that. Okay? Very seriously. Don't do anything that you're convinced not it is right. But Paul is not saying do it unless you're convinced it's necessary. There's a big difference in that. We don't have to do everything the same way, and we are not the rule makers. Look at verses 6 through 12. Look at verses 6 through 12. Romans chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. He that regardeth the day regardeth me unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not today, not the day, excuse me, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. 
For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And as we said before in our, uh, in our previous uh, verses, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, we do not have to do everything the same way. Question that I believe automatically comes up. What things? What's the problem? People want to dump everything in Romans 14. Everything they want to dump in there. Well, now, we may practice Christianity a different way. Romans 14. I believe that the local church can do this. And the local church, oh, I believe it should be. Romans 14. Amen. Either it's authorized or it's not. Period. Either it's authorized or it's not. It's like I said the other day. How hard is it? Forget what you believe about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, oh, Paul was doing this, and here's what was really going on. All speculation, by the way. Anytime people start putting, well, here's what was going on in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. What was going on and what was happening is the, the, the Corinthian brethren were not eating together. You had one rich group and you had one poor. Where you, where's that come? Says who? Who says that's the context? Who says that's what was going on? All I know is Paul said this. Look, have you not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? That's the question. And no, forget what the reason. Here's the simple solution. I know, you know, well, this, 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 and whatever the problem was, whatever the problem is, here's the solution. If you're hungry, eat at home. There's the solution. That's what we do. You don't throw Romans 14 in there, or throw that in Romans 14. And we just go on down the line. What things are Paul talking about? What things? That's the question. Well, I need to be able to constrain my liberty for the sake of the weaker brother. So we're talking about issues of liberty that we have the freedom to do. Look at verses 13 through 22. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in his brother's way. Let me pause for just one moment. Our Lord gave to me one of the strongest condemnations that the Bible records. There's, there's a couple of verses that really just make me shudder. One is in Hebrews chapter 10, where it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Every time I read that verse, I just shudder. The other is, if you're a stumbling block to these little ones, and I believe the little ones, they're the innocent, the heart, it'd be better that a millstone tied around your neck and you cast into the sea. You drown in the sea than to offend one of these little ones. See, those are the, that, that's what falls. Remember, issues that are not inherently sinful in and of themselves. And he goes on to say this, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in and of itself, but to him that he esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. But if thy brother is be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. 
Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things, there it is, serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroyeth not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything wherewith my brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the things which he alloweth. What things? Tell you what, it's not sin. But how do we determine sin? Sin is transgression against the law of God. Sin is when we violate what God has commanded us to do, whether by committing overt acts against God's will or omitting things that God has commanded us to do. Whatever the place is or whatever means by which sin is committed, in either of those things, it is sinful. That's why I like Matthew 25. You know, Matthew chapter 25, really, if Jesus Christ was about to go to, to, to meet his death for us, when he talked about what people or Christians, his disciples, what did I always like the fact that he is referring to things that were omitted. When I was hungry, he didn't feed me. When I was in prison, he didn't come by. When I was naked, he didn't clothe me. All these things are dealing with sins of omission. Omission. Things that we ought to be doing, that we're not doing. And of course, in that context, it's the love that we ought to have for one another. Beloved, any time, any time, whatever issue we're having, whatever the case may be, and we'll talk about it now, some against some of those, but, but if it's an issue of liberty, if it's an issue that we believe we have the, the, the liberty to do or not to do, when that issue becomes so bad that we have contention, contentment, disregard, hatred, bitterness, despise, and abhorment toward one another, we are all who are in that state condemned. Well, it started out as an issue of liberty, yeah, but it grew and it grew to an issue of sin just by our attitudes. Just because of the way we conducted ourselves. And as y'all heard me this evening, it can happen. <laughs> now just imagine if we go, I go away hating that, but I can't I do Man! I may as well drive myself out of that house or this building. <laughs> and and if, I'm, if my attitude is that, I hope I make it home safe. I don't believe I'm going to heaven with that attitude. And oftentimes an issue that doesn't have to go there goes there. And it doesn't have to. Okay? Now, if you do something you are convinced is wrong, you have sinned. Look at verse 23. And he that doubted is, is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith 
is sin. Now, notice, convinced, it is wrong. Now, oftentimes, the issue is a matter of saying, I don't think that's the best way. Or, I don't think that's the best thing. That's all well and good. That's all well and good. But now, I believe that this is wrong. Now, in this context, who is the weaker brother? The one who binds on himself, or at least in the mind of others, who binds on himself a stricter standard than what God has bound. Now, that person is again binding things on himself that God has not. But it still makes him the weaker brother. You see. And the stronger brother is to say, Okay. Okay. The weaker brother said, I can only eat herbs. The stronger brother said, Hey, God's giving us all things. No, man, I, I, I can only eat herbs, though. You ain't got no faith. You don't trust in God. Have you not read 1 Timothy chapter 2? Are you out of your mind? <coughs> Look, that's just the way we were brought. Guys, there were people that I know in the congregation. We like to play cards. Uh, we, but don't gamble. You know, I'm not trying to make my livelihood. I don't bring the brother in trying to get my salad for that week by playing a little uh, poker. I don't even know how to play poker. But, you know, things like Rook. Uh, we like to play a game called Bid. Bid Whist. Probably most of y'all don't know about that game. It's a cultural thing. But we have some people who don't. They just don't. Believe cards are okay. Whether you gamble or not. We have some people who feel that way about certain days of the year, you know. They, they just, for conscience sake, could not and would not. They just couldn't see these days as being secular, and, and, and no, they just they just now. What do we do about that? How do we handle that? What do we do? Do we tell them? Well, I guess yeah. Well, we have a get together. I guess you ain't coming then, because <laughs> we gonna keep up this and we gonna let this stand and we ain't taking down that. You just you know you better get your hey you got. You got the problem. You better get it together, man. And learn better. <clears throat> if that's our attitude, you got a problem. And I mean, you fill in the blanks. But what we can say is, well, look, uh, that's sin. That's sin, brother. And anytime you accuse somebody of sin, you, you better get to the book and open it up and show them where they're in sin. Now, if you can't do that, <coughs> you're rejecting the one who God has accepted, if that's the case. Okay? Does it apply to someone who uses instrumental music in worship? Oftentimes is the question. Well, is instrumental music in worship sinful? Mm. Well, it doesn't say not to do it. We talked about that Sunday. Show me where it says to do it. 
Well, I, when I turn to Psalm 51, okay, well, I'll tell you what, go ahead and turn to Psalm 151. All right, go ahead and read that for us. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Now, now let's turn to Psalm 60, 69 for a moment. Let's talk about animal sacrifices. Let's turn to Psalm 65. Let's turn to Psalm 51. And talk about animal sacrifices. Now, what about that? Well, now, now, we ain't under that no more. Well, uh, how is it you're able to go to Psalm 151, but I can't go to those other Psalms that speak about offering bullets and, and, and rams and, and all those different things? Why, why can't why, why, why? Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, I love when people do that. I, I, it's just amazing. In the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is our sacrifice. Amen. You are right. And the new covenant, we don't offer no animal sacrifices. The Lamb of God. I remember one, one, one individual I was talking with. That's just the way we was talking. The Lamb of God has been offered for us. But now, when it comes to how we worship, God don't care if we use mechanical instruments or not. That's what the Old Testament folk did, he said. And we have the right to do that. I said, well, now you said Hebrews, the book of Hebrews said that. Now, I'm with you on that about the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. But I'd like for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13 with me, if you don't mind, sir. And, and I want you to, to, to look at a verse. Now, wherefore Jesus also, in verse 12, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffer without the king. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. That's it. Preacher, is what he said. I said, well, now let's read on. Let us go, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Well, now, 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 wait a minute. Now, see, now, now, what you got to understand? I said, no, no, what you have to understand. You, you, you brought Hebrews up. You see. Yeah, but you know, that's a Romans 14. Really? I'm not trying to pick and choose what things. I'm just giving some examples here. Because as I told you Sunday, and I stand by what I said, this is the doctrine of Christ. All of it that we better adhere to. Not picking and choosing. I'm just giving examples as to what people try to dump in Romans 14. Especially our brother now. So many people want to do it. So now let's do it. Now let's do it. You know, even when it comes to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching and admonishing one another, speaking to ourselves, we got some brothers who say, well, look, after we worship, we give that closing prayer. Now what we do is we take the same song books, we take the same group of people in the same place, and now instead of speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, instead of teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, here, uh, uh, psalms hymns, and spiritual songs, we're now going to bring us a group up here. We're not going to call it no choir. Now, we can't do that. That's wrong. We're going to call ours a group, and we're going to let them sing to us, and we're going to clap our hands and praise the Lord. Really? Romans 14, brother. Romans 14. What things? You see, that goes back to that question. What things? Does it apply to someone who teaches that there is a way to divorce for any cause or remarry and be right with God? Hence, mental divorce and all the various things we see people propagating in the brotherhood. Romans 14, brother. 
How about Matthew 19? Whatever the subject is, the context of Romans 14 is that that they both can do right and practice what they're practicing and teaching what they're teaching and still be acceptable, hence approved to God. Whatever it is, you can have two people doing different things, but whatever those things, it's still acceptable to God, and they are still acceptable to God. That means it is issues of liberty. Now, how do we determine what we better go to the book? We do not have the right to demand anything that God has not demanded, nor do we have the right to set or loose demands. In the name of God that he has not done. We are commanded to grow. Yes, we are. First Peter chapter 3, or Second Peter chapter 3, and verse 18. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, excuse me, and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We are commanded to grow. Now, how do we do that? Well, I want to turn to Peter's first epistle. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, here's how we grow. See, we oftentimes say, well, we grow. I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. It's time for me to grow. Well, understand this. There's some things that need to continually be set in place for us to grow. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by. Look, you've got to lay aside some things and you've got to desire a thing. And the idea is to desire the sincere milk, the pure milk, the reasonableness of the word. In other words, if I want to know what to do, I'm going to go to God's book. That's what I'm. As a matter of fact, I can't do anything without it. That's the attitude that we have to have instead of doing things, presuming that things are right. Then when somebody brings it to our attention, because we didn't really consult God's word, we did it presumptuously, now all of a sudden we mad. And that could have all been avoided. Let's see what Romans 14 things are. Okay? Jesus spoke of the need for growth and, and greater faith, Matthew 8, 24. We find that Christians have varied levels of understanding, brother. We understand that in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, me and uh, the brother I was talking about, talking about earlier, we, we had a, uh, a talk about that today, and it's something that, that I think we, we both uh, had to admit. We have to admit this, that there are different levels of understanding. But understanding grows when knowledge is implanted. And so, in other words, you grow. It's not like a baby says, well, you know, a baby has a different level of nourishment than me. I, I will probably die if I just start drinking milk. But that baby, that's all he had to do. So what happens? Well, he grows. He grows. He grows. And we give him what he needs, what he needs, what he needs. In Hebrews chapter 5, Verses 12. And I won't read all the verses, but Hebrews 5, beginning at verse 12. And I notice Paul is not, I say Paul, I always, I believe the Hebrew writer is Paul, but anyway, I keep saying that. The Hebrew writer says in verse 8, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all that are, are, are that all obey him. And of course, we looked at it earlier, obeying him. Called of God, a high priest after the, uh, the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have Many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, 
ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that is that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, there it is, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You, you know, there, there's people who do and people who don't have that yet. And of course, you can read on in verse six to uh, chapter six through six. All right, let me let me speed up a little bit. The fellowship question and issue. Well, now when we consider that, the fellowship question is this: How can we know when to draw lines of fellowship and when not to? The question will take time and always demand diligence in answering. Our souls depends on it. However. The answer to that question, I want y'all to hear me out now. The answer to that question is not in Romans 14. And if you draw in lines of fellowship because of Romans 14, that question is not answered there. (laughs) No, sir. Now, people's attitudes may get to where Romans 14 had a bearing on it, but you still got to go outside of of Romans 14 to start talking about people's ungodly attitudes and sinful behavior. That's still not, that's not in Romans 14 either. (laughs) It could start there, but it's not there. Romans 14, that's not the issue there in Romans 14. It's a totally different issue. Romans 14 does not address the person who needs to change. It speaks to the person who doesn't need to. I know, I know. Oh no, they they, they got to change. They better change. Now he needs to know that he better start eating meat. Now he, he he God told him he can do it, and he better do it. That's 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 some of the attitudes that we have. That's not proper. And I'll end our lesson with this: If you are living in sin as long, if you are living rather in sin as long as I accept God's word. I cannot accept you. If you're living in sin, I can't accept you. Okay, you first John chapter one, three through four. You know the verses. We may do some things differently. I hope that you will accept me and I pray and rather pray for me that I may accept you in those things. <coughs> that are not sin. Now again, we got to dig, we got to be honest, we have to do all those things to determine what those things are. But when we became Christians, see, we repented of all those things that are contrary to God. We took upon us really the mind of Christ. And, and as we've seen in these verses, and there's so many others, that talk about patience and, 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 and forbearing and long-suffering. For those who again are striving, but understand patience, long suffering. For those who reject God, now God is long suffering. The whole world is full of people who reject God, and His suffering long is there. But you know, even with that suffering long, please know that God has separated Himself from all those who are evil and in sin carrying out those things that are contrary to his will. Just because this earth exists because he's long-suffering doesn't mean that God has a relationship with them. 
Try to make the distinction and difference. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, understand, yes, yes, Christianity just seems so complicated. It's not. It's not. It's not. It really takes an honest heart and due diligence to serve God, much like in our jobs, in school, you know. And I'm not trying to compare school or our jobs with being a Christian, but I am simply saying it's not compl- uh, complicated. It's not non-doable. But Romans 14 is there for us, and as you can see, I hope you can see, how God has given us the means by which you can serve Him and we can work together as servants of Him. And so if you have not obeyed the gospel, don't be afraid to, to make that step because of the complexity as you perceive it. But please know that you have a God who loved you so much that He came in the form of man sent by His Father and offered Himself at the hands of those to whom He created so that those who were His enemies can be His friends and live with Him forever. Ever. That's the love of God. That's the God we serve. Now, what he asks you to do is believe in that. Believe in him. Repent of all sin. Why would I continue in sin with a God who's loved me so much? I can't continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. Then I must repent of all those things that are contrary to God's will. Confess the one who died for me before me. And be baptized for the remission of our sins. Thus dying with them, being buried with them, raised with him to walk in newness of life. And there I live faithfully all the days of my life. Again, as we stated, not flawlessly or perfectly, but faithfully. Having at our disposal the avenue of repentance toward God when we've done things contrary in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to again cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we are truly, truly blessed through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we can help you in coming to Christ, coming back to Christ. We encourage you to come as we stand and as we sing.